Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. As everyone gets situated, let's take a moment and calm our hearts. Let's pray and go to the Lord. Ask Him to bless our time in the Word this morning. Let's pray together. But Father, we thank You for the message that we have heard so far. Lord, the reminder of, of the great miracle of Christmas. Lord, I pray that each one of us here this morning would not just look at Christmas as a tradition, that we wouldn't just look at it as a cute story, but that we would look at it as the truth of God sending His Son because He loved sinners, those who had gone away from Him, and He went to every length necessary that we might be forgiven, that we might have hope, that we might know Him and know that we're forgiven. Lord, as, this, as we talk about the Christmas story, remove that, that film of familiarity that we might have. Lord, help us to see with, with fresh eyes and fresh heart the wonder and the wonderful story of Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to say thank you to Jesse and all the volunteers and all the kids. Kids, you did phenomenal. All right. Let's give them. Uh, you did a great job. And, and as a pastor, uh, as, and as just really someone who um, was getting to sit and watch, I enjoyed it. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing that. Um, we're going to be in John 3.16 again this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John 3.16, and we're going to look at John 3.16 and a few other verses, but as we think about Christmas, we've talked about the gift of Jesus Christ, what that means for each one of us, the love that God has displayed, the, the idea that God has given the absolute best, that there was nothing better that He could give in sending His only Son. And there are a lot of blessings that we could pull out of that, but I want us to focus on one this morning, and that is, in the coming of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift of assurance. Now, assurance is something that many of us might struggle with. When we talk about assurance, we're talking about in the life of a Christian, how do I know that I am a believer. How do I know that I really have been forgiven of my sins? How do I know that there wasn't something that got left out and I didn't do something right? How do I know that when I come to the threshold of death that I can have hope? For some of us, we, and even in our culture, the idea of knowing seems prideful. It seems arrogant. If you listen to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, they would tell you that assurance, being sure, having a steadfast hope is not something that you ought to have in this life. That's something that's incredibly arrogant to think, that you might know where your eternal destiny is. The only problem with that is that God wants you to know. God wants you to know beyond of a shadow of beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have been 
forgiven. That you are loved. That you have a home with him. When we look at John 3.16, I want to connect John 3.16 with the, the broader purpose of John's gospel. You see, John is writing a gospel, but he's not writing a diary. He has a mission. He has a purpose. He has something he's trying to accomplish. So let's look at John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world, he loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten Son... So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now notice two things here. First of all, this eternal life comes through believing in Jesus. That's the only way. There is no other option. There is not a middle way. There are not many ways. There's one way. And it's believing in him. Now notice, this is the exact opposite of what you will often hear today. If you want to have an assurance or a confidence that you are saved, that you're forgiven, you're told to believe in yourself. Believe in your good works. Believe in, in the fact that you haven't committed a felony, or, or maybe you haven't been arrested uh, in your lifetime, or maybe you haven't been caught speeding, whatever it is. But notice the assurance is not believing in yourself. What does John say? And Jesus is speaking here. Jesus himself says, whoever believes in him. So the foundation, the bedrock, the solid ground of our assurance is not anything within ourselves. It's Christ. Whoever believes in him. So you can only be as sure of your salvation as you are sure that Jesus Christ is who he is and did what he did. But notice, not just that, but it says that he loved the world, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Now notice Jesus or John could have said, listen, we're just taking bets here and we're pretty sure that if you believe in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. Or he could have said, listen, we've, we've considered all the other options and they all have some validity, but we think, you know, best case scenario, this is the one we're going to go with. What does Jesus say? Whoever believes in him, what? Will have Eternal life. Jesus isn't confused. He's not unsure. He's not second guessing. He knows that those who believe in him will have eternal life. So the question is, have you believed in him? Have you trusted him? Have you rested in who he is and what he has done? If you have, I want you to know Jesus says whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why would Jesus say this? Why would John record this? Well, flip back to the end of John's gospel in chapter 20. This is the verse we want to connect to the, the purpose of John's writing in his gospel. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus says, or John tells us that Jesus performed... Many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And I love that. Can we just stop right there? You read the Gospel of John and you realize that's not everything Jesus did. Jesus did more than we could possibly imagine. There are not enough books in the universe that could 
fit all that he did. But then look at verse 31. But these are written. The gospel of John is written. Why? So that you may believe. So John is writing to convince you. John's not neutral. He's not recording just a a plain history. He wants you to believe. Believe in what? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then look at this. And that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to know. Jesus wants you to know. And so, we see the heart of John in writing his gospel. But I want you to listen to 1 John. He writes, the Apostle John also wrote some epistles, some letters. And in 1 John, his first epistle, his first letter in 1 John 5.13, he says, I have, ri- I have written these things, that is the letter, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay, so, so follow the logic here. John writes a gospel because he wants people to become Christians. And then once they become Christians, he's writing these letters. I want you who believe, you read my gospel, now you've believed. You who believe, I write, I write these things to you. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Is it possible to know, to have an assurance, to have a solid foundation A knowing, not a guessing, not a probability, not a best case scenario, but to know that you have eternal life. John seems to think so. Under under being inspired by the Holy Spirit, God speaking to us through John wants us to know. And so the main idea this morning is really very simple. Jesus Christ is the assurance of our salvation. Jesus Christ is the assurance of our salvation. If you ever doubt whether or not you are saved, whether you've been born again, the question is not, what have I done? Have I done enough? The question is, did he do enough? Has he paid it all? Did he do what was necessary for me to be forgiven? So Christ, Jesus, is the assurance of our salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. And so when you think of it like this, I think what we begin to see is that this is where we see many false assurances. Things that we look to that are good, but when we put them in the place of Christ, when we put them in the place of the foundation and our hope, we start to get a little off course. Let me, let me share a couple of, of uh, false assurances that we, we look to. Number one, our good works. Now, I know what the Bible says. You will know them by their fruit. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, work to make your calling and election sure. I know all those things, but here's what I want you to see. Don't confuse the fountain of your salvation with the fruit of your salvation. It's called fruit for a reason. It is a result. It is not the root. So if you're looking at your life and you're saying, I don't see, I don't see a lot of good works. I don't see... Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying... I don't 
know how you look at my life and see all the things I did this week, how I've, how I've sinned, how I've doubted, how I've wrestled, how I've questioned, how is it that I'm actually saved? Well, guess what? You're not saved. You're not born again. You don't become a Christian by how little you doubt. You don't become a Christian by how good you are. And so sometimes we look to our own good works. Listen, if you listen, if you're looking at your good works, let me ask you a question. How much is enough for you to feel sure? Why aren't you doing good works 24-7? Why are you sleeping? Why are you taking time to eat? Why are you working at your job? Why are you bathing your children? Why are you doing anything other than these, these great good works that you think bring you the assurance you're looking for? Understand this. Those are a result of your salvation. But the basis, the solid ground is Christ. So that's one false assurance we look to. Another one that we look to is our belief and our faith. Now, I want to be careful here because this is something that it's one of those things that it's a, it's a slight degree uh, off course, but, but I feel that many of us do that. We trust, we seem to think that because we prayed a prayer or because we, you know, we walked down the aisle at a church or because we did something at one point in our life that, that we made a decision for Jesus and that is our assurance. But listen, just let me ask you this. If your decision for Jesus is your assurance, what about those times when you don't choose Jesus? What about those times when you know there's something that you shouldn't do, but you do it anyway? Or there's something that you should do, but you don't do it? You see, if you look to the... Here's what we do. We, we look to two different qualities of our belief. First of all, we look to its constancy. Do I believe 100% of the time? Am I always faithful? Am I, am I consistent? A, am I always, always faithful to God? What's the problem with that? We have guests here this morning. Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't follow Jesus. You haven't trusted him as your savior. But can I just tell you, every other Christian in this room knows that they do not follow Jesus perfectly. And so if we're going by our faith, how constant is it? How strong is it? That's another thing we look at. Not just it's constancy. We, we, we try to rest in our own faithfulness, but sometimes we try to rest in how much faith. You know, if I was a real Christian, I would believe this. I, I, would, I would believe bigger. I would believe better. Jesus says, if you had enough faith to move a mountain, you know, you would say move and it would move. But I don't have faith like that. I must not be a real Christian. When was the last time any of you moved a mountain? I haven't. After Christmas and Thanksgiving, I feel like the size of a mountain. 
But you see, it's not, the, it's not the quality of your faith. It's not the quantity of your faith. It's not the consistency of your faith. It's not your faithfulness that is the assurance of your salvation. Because listen, we all are unfaithful at some point. We all have little faith at some point, And we all wrestle with doubt and fear. And we struggle because we're finite human beings and we're not sure sometimes. And so if your assurance is your own belief... Well, then you won't, you won't have assurance. You won't know that you know that you know. So we look to our good works. We look to our, our own belief. But here's another one we look to. We look to our emotions. We look to our emotions. If I was a real Christian, if I was really saved, I'd have joy all the time. Now look, I know, I know, the, I know the Christian cliche if I could put it this way, is, is happiness and joy are not the same thing. And I get that. I, I, I know a fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, right? But sometimes we, we base our insurance on how we feel. We say, if I, was, if I was a real Christian and I was in church this morning, I would have been, if I was a real Christian, I would have been raising my hands. I would have been clapping. I would have been stomping. I would have been dancing. If I was a real Christian and I was going through this very hard trial, I, I wouldn't have a, 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 just a, you know, a, a demeanor that, that, that indicates sadness or that I'm going through something hard. But understand this, your, your emotions are a gift of God. Let's, let's say that. They are a gift of God. They are a part of being human. They are good. They are a blessing. But they are not the litmus test for truth. They are not the standard by which you ought to measure reality. You might be here this morning and you might be saying, I don't feel like I'm saved. Well, guess what? Sometimes I don't either. Sometimes I look at the man in the mirror and I think, how in the world is a man like that saved? Because it's not me that saves myself. It's not our emotions. It's not, listen, you're not saved even by how much you love Jesus. Stay with me. I think we would all agree that Jesus deserves perfect, constant love. Amen? That's what he deserves. That's what he gets from his Father. An eternal relationship. That's what he gets from the angels who constantly praise him in glory. But that's not what we give him. So... Jesus is the assurance of our, found, of our salvation, not our good works, not our belief, not even our emotions. And so when we think about this gift of assurance, I want us to, to understand that in the coming of Jesus as a baby, that we, we get the whole picture. It is not a gift of assurance that's just based on the fact that God became a man, but that this man would grow up to, this baby would grow up to be a man who never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And yet, he goes to a cross to die in the place of those who had done wrong. And we have to have this 
whole picture. And as I thought about it, you know what I realized? Hey, boys and girls, listen. You know what I realized? You only know me as Pastor Jason. And sometimes we have to be careful. We either focus on just baby Jesus or we only focus on Easter Jesus, right? And so I thought it'd be good for you kids to maybe see like what it was like when I was a kid. So I, got, I have some pictures here. Uh, the first one is a family photo. So you see that? That's my dad and my mom. Nice, yeah. So there's, there's me and my sister. And so let, can we zoom in a little bit on that, that, that picture of me? Let's just cut out everybody else. There we go, yeah. That was me as a kid. We have another picture. Here's a picture of me uh, that I was taking. I took it with my sister, but we just cut her out because. Can you tell that's me? No? No? All right, boys and girls. So maybe, well, yeah, well, I mean, I was like seven, so I wouldn't have a beard. But listen. Let's see if you can tell this is me in the next picture, okay? Let's look at the next one. Maybe the face. That looks like a goofy kid. If I'm being so you understand that that What's that? Dennis the Menace. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation yesterday and I asked somebody, uh, I said, "Have you been good this year? Is Santa going to bring you some presents?" and she said, well, I've tried, I've tried. And I said, you know, the one thing that Santa never, that confused me about Santa is like, usually the thing we trip up on is like, how does he get down the chimney? Or, or what if you don't have a chimney? Like all those things. The thing that really confused me were, he says, if you're naughty, you're going to get coal. And I never got coal. And I'm pretty sure I earned it a few times. <laughs> yeah, see? So I can only guess that my parents snuck in there before I woke up and then switched it out or something. But we have to have this picture of Jesus, not just as a baby, but he is God. He is the Savior come to save his people. And he shows the lengths to which he will go in that he came as a baby. He came and assumed the lowest form he could possibly assume. He became The one who upholds the universe became someone who was held in the arms of a woman. The one who is the creator comes and is no bigger than a watermelon. And when we think about this, I want you to see that Jesus not just comes as our savior, as a baby, but but that baby is God and man. So the assurance that we have is that It's not just that Jesus came as a baby, but this baby is God and man. If he was only God, he wouldn't know what it's like to be a man. He wouldn't know what it's like to struggle. He wouldn't know what it's like to live in a dark world where where we we wonder, where you're not sure whether you're going to make it to the end of the week. when When you don't know the struggle... So he comes as God and man, but if he came only as a man... He wouldn't be able to save us. He wouldn't be able to help us. He would be one of us, but powerless to help us. So this baby grows up to be a man who is arrested. And he's crucified. He's nailed to a cross. 
And what did he do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. Instead, he's taking our place. He is going where we should have gone. He is dying the death we should have died. So this baby grows up to be a man who is our substitute. He takes our place. He is there on the cross. And if you don't know this, Jesus is there and and he is taking the punishment for our sins, not just physically, but spiritually. The, The righteous, perfect judgment of God is being poured out on Jesus. It's being put on Jesus so that whoever believes in him, it will not be put on them. So Jesus is dying, taking the penalty, and that's why we can say Jesus is our assurance. So understand this. We have a temptation to make the Christmas story the way we want it. And we like it a certain way. We were reading a book with our boys the other day, and it was about the Christmas story. And and I was a little offended because as we were reading the book, they had all these people in it. It was this book about how uh, the animals of Christmas would get to choose who their riders were. And so there was a horse, and the horse said, I'll take the Roman soldier. And the angel says to the horse, but that's not the greatest but you, he'll do many good things, but he's not the greatest. And then the ox says, I'll take the good Samaritan. And the angel says, well, he's good and he'll do good, but he's not the greatest. And then you, you, so there's, there's men all throughout the book. And then you get to the last page where the donkey, the donkey is the last one to choose. And he bears Mary, right? You've seen the pictures. He, buries, he bears Mary to Bethlehem and And she's carrying the greatest, right? The Lord Jesus Christ in her womb. And you get to the last page, and there's a picture of Mary and Joseph. And it's the only picture in the entire book. You know what they did to Joseph? He was bald. (laughs) And I said, wait a minute. And I flipped back through the book, and I said, not a single man in this book is bald. Like, I just wanted to be in that meeting, you know? Like, we're planning this book. Okay, let's, let's go to the last page. And somebody in that meeting is like, I'm dying on this hill. Jesus is, is being born, and I want Joseph to be bald. You know, it's like, really, Mike? Is that, I'm not changing it. Joseph will be bald. But that's what, we, we're, tempted to, we're tempted to take the Christmas story and just pick and choose which parts we want. And we do that. We do that when, when we only celebrate baby Jesus. We like baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is innocuous. He's sweet. He's, I mean, he's an infant, right? But we cannot separate that from the fact that this baby grows up to die a gruesome death for you. Think about it. Jesus leaves his home. To become homeless. He leaves glory to die on a gory cross. He leaves perfect blessedness to walk among evil, sinful people. He leaves the music of heaven to experience the clash and the crash of daily life in a broken, sinful world. He upholds the universe by the power of his word, but he comes as an infant who can't even speak a word. He comes and, and he's 
conceived in the virgin's womb. And, and just think about what a picture that is, uh, that, that the Son of God is conceived and the first place that he is conceived is, is, is in a womb, in a place where it's sealed, in a place that, well, in many ways is kind of like a tomb. Jesus comes not just to be a cute baby, not just to be a good teacher. He comes to be our Savior. And from the very beginning, everything in his life that you read in the Gospels points us to this. So, we know a little bit about Jesus. We, we, we've seen how he is our assurance, but... but let, let's be honest about ourselves, okay? What does this assurance mean? I, I want to give you four applications that you need to walk away this morning, just as you think about your own assurance. Number one, you truly are a sinner. You truly are a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save those who had rebelled against him. He came to show amazing love to those who hated him, to those who rejected him. The ones that are driving the nails into his wrist are the ones that Jesus is letting his wrist be driven through for. And so you really are a sinner. On Christmas, don't forget that Jesus has come to save Sinners, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So you're here this morning. Understand that you are a sinner by who you are, your very nature. As a human being, we are all sinners. We've all done things we shouldn't do. If I could go back and I could tell that little boy, that little six-year-old seven boy, boys and girls, I'd say the same thing to him that I would say to you. You're a sinner. But Jesus loves you. The second application I want you to know is that you are truly loved by God. You are truly loved by God. If Jesus Christ is your assurance, understand that Jesus shows that God loves you. Think about that. That little boy in that picture would grow up to be a teenager and a college student who would do things that to this day, as I stand before you, he is ashamed, he regrets, he wishes he could go back in time and undo. And there are times, even today, where it feels like, how can I know that God actually loves me? But our assurance is Christ. And so in Christ, you are truly loved. We say it so much that it becomes, it loses its power. But, but let that sink in beyond just the, don't, don't just hear it and say, yeah, I know. Let it sink in. God loves you. He's proven it. He showed it. But then there's a third application I want you to see. 
If Jesus Christ is the assurance of our salvation, understand this, you are truly forgiven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you rest in Him, if you trust Him for salvation, if you believe that He died on the cross for you in your place, that He took all your unrighteousness and paid the penalty, and now when you believe in Him, He gives you His perfect life, He gives you His reputation, He gives you, his, uh, his, he gives you Himself, and so now you are truly forgiven. I was driving the other day, and I drove by a place that brought back a memory. It brought back a memory of when I was in high school. I went to East Wake High School. I grew up around here. And one of the things that, that's hard about that is having lived a good portion of my life not as a Christian. I'll, I'll drive around and I'll, I'll see a, an exit. And it reminds me of something that I did. And I stopped and I started to feel guilty about it again. And I started to think, I can't believe. And then I had to remember my own sermon. I truly am forgiven. The Bible says that when we trust in Christ, your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. God is not sitting there waiting for you to remember so he can hold it over you again. He's not waiting for you to mess up again so he can say, see, I knew you'd screw up again. But can we also say that you're truly forgiven for those things? Let's be honest. There are things that happen to some of us in life that we know it's not our fault. But we still feel like it is. Even that is forgiven. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. My point in saying that is that Jesus is the one who can bring you rest. He's the one that can bring you peace. And that leads to the fourth application. You are a sinner, but you're loved by God. You are forgiven through your belief in what Jesus did. And then the fourth application is this. You truly do have rest in Christ. Rest. When was the last time the world told you to rest? When was the last time that you experienced rest for your soul? I'm not just talking about physical rest. I'm not talking about taking a nap as glorious as naps can be. I'm talking about that peace, that rest that sinks all the way down to your soul. That rest where your soul is finally still. Maybe you're here this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but maybe your heart and your soul is a storm. Maybe it's a torment. Maybe it is a, a thunderous, chaotic mess. And you hear the word rest and you think, that's what I want. I want you to know, if you've tried everything else and you don't have rest, the reason is because there's only true rest in Christ, in Jesus. 
And so maybe today needs to be the day where you come to him. When you recognize that you've been trying to fix it on your own. You've been trying to have hope and peace and, and sort it all out on your own. But you know, you hear, it's starting to click with you. You need Jesus. Jesus, you, in Jesus, you truly can have rest. So for us believers here this morning, accept the assurance that is offered to you and rest in Christ. Understand the distinction between fruits of salvation and the fountain of your salvation, the source of your salvation, the rock of your salvation. But maybe you're here this morning and, well, maybe you can't put it any other way but to say, I need Jesus. We're going to have a time of response. I'll be down here at the front and if if that's something that you want to talk about, I would love, absolutely love to be able to talk with you about that. But you can do it where you are. You can do it in your seat. As we have a time of response and prayer, it's really, you can do it like this. You, you go to God in prayer and say, I know that I have done things that I shouldn't have. I know that I need Jesus. I can't explain the depths of it. I can't explain all the mechanics of it. I just know I need Jesus in my life. You say, God, forgive me of my sins. I trust what Jesus did. Save me and forgive me. If you pray something like that, it's not about the words. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be eloquent. But if you pray that, with an honest and sincere heart, God hears. God will forgive you. So if you need somebody to talk with you, I'd be happy to do that. But let's take a time and let me pray for us and then you respond as the Lord leads. Father, we thank you for the gift of assurance. Lord, that we can know that we're loved, that we can know that we're forgiven, that we can know that we have eternal life. Lord, in some sense, it's only then that we begin to feel free to, to follow your teachings, to follow your word. Lord, that's when your, your word becomes a delight to us. Because we know all of our sins, past, present, and future are covered. So we're free to run. We're free to follow. We're free to delight in you and in your word. So Lord, however it is, for each person in here that this, this hits home for them. God, help them to see that the bedrock, the, the foundation of our hope is Jesus. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, may today be the day. Lord, if they're already trying to think of reasons not to, God, help them to see that the most important decision, the most important truth that they can contemplate and respond to is that you love them and you offer them eternal life and rest. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.